I'm Noel Holtzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. When you think about the word lingerie, you probably picture something like Victoria's Secret, supermodels, sequins, and a lot of sexy stuff that doesn't necessarily prioritize comfort or function. But there's a sea change happening in the lingerie industry, one that's all about listening to what women actually need. My name's Joanna Griffiths, and I'm the founder and CEO of NYX and Nixteen. NYX is one of the brands leading this movement. Think of them as kind of an anti-Victoria's Secret. No professional models, no airbrushing, no sequins, and no wires in their bras. And they built their name on something that was too taboo for most brands, even though it solved a big issue. That product was period-proof underwear. I think that people were aware of the problem. I just think it was such an unsexy problem that it took someone who doesn't really, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but like doesn't really give a shit about what other people think. And instead what happened to me was I just, through talking to all these women, became so compelled and so connected to them that I felt like a person on a mission to go and try and solve this pain point for them. So maybe talking about this stuff makes you uncomfortable. That's okay, but I want you to stick with me here. Because what you're about to hear is a powerful conversation about what happens when you really listen to what your customers want. It's also the story of how a garment brand built a huge, supportive community online where women share the most vulnerable stories about everything from body image and aging to fertility issues. And you also hear both of us talking about some difficult stories of our own. But first, let's start at the beginning. So I worked on NYX when I was doing my MBA back in 2011 and 2012. Basically, I had no background in apparel. I'd never started a company before. I knew that I wanted to get into the intimates category, but I didn't really know where to start. Why did you know you wanted to get into that category? Yeah. So I um, I saw a huge gap in the market and it um, specifically pertained to like a very functional product. So I guess now about a Almost 10 years ago, I was talking with my mom, who's a doctor and a mother of four. We were chatting about the realities of being a woman, what happens to women's bodies in different life stages and phases. Um, We sort of had that chat of like, this is what goes down when you're pregnant and during childbirth and post-childbirth. And I learned that one in three women can leak a little throughout that experience and then post. Yeah. And that just blew my mind. So... um, There was nothing on the market that made any sense for the fact that this affected so many women. Really, the only option was to go to um, a drugstore like a CVS, a Walgreens, or a Shoppers Drug Market here in Canada and to pick up Depends. And that just felt like such a huge disconnect. So I saw the opportunity to invent a product that addressed like a huge pain point for a lot of women, but I didn't really know where to start. And so because of that, I had really no other option than to go and to ask women a ton of questions and to sort of start putting together the pieces of the puzzle. And when I was asking all these women these questions, one of the main things that came up through the conversations was that um, the category at the time, so women's lingerie and intimates at the time, which was dominated by Victoria's Secret, was making women feel incredibly bad about themselves. So there was one image being portrayed into the world that was telling women, you have to look this way. And if you're not this way, if you're not like a Victoria's Secret angel, then you're not good enough. 
And so with that in mind, when we set out and we created NYX, we knew that we wanted to always reinvent from the product standpoint, um, but we also knew that we wanted to finally create a brand that was truly representative of women and who they are. And so honestly, from day one, we've taken that approach of inclusivity. Um, I still remember being back in 2013 and doing the first sort of en masse photo shoot with a bunch of our customers. And... You know, I think it's become kind of more table stakes now, but at the time we were the first Intimates brand to shoot real women and our customers in a campaign. And since then we photographed, I think, over 600 women over the past few years. There's so many different directions that I want to go with that. The The, the first question is really sort of speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset and in, in that, that there's a gap in the market. And, and I think people could look at that gap in one of two ways, either accept that th that gap is for a reason and the reason that it hasn't been addressed is because it's unaddressable. And I think a lot of people might stop there, but then, but it takes a real sort of confidence and vision to be able to say, well, the, the gap there is, is a mistake or it's a misunderstanding or there's something fundamentally wrong and I'm going to fill it. Like in your research, did you ever sort of uncover why that there had that there was a gap? Um, yeah, like I, I, I sort of looked at what the options were, and I think that the problem that Nix was setting out to solve is a really, really, really unsexy problem. Okay. And unsexy problems get solved last. It's not, you know, exciting to, I mean, I was excited to talk about it. <laughs> I would talk to anyone who would listen, but, you know, it's not necessarily mainstream to go around and say, hey, I'm going to make underwear for women when they pee themselves. Like, it's just yeah. not sexy. Same thing, I'm going to make underwear so that women don't experience period leaks. Like, especially at the time, um, these conversations weren't being widely held. And when I was doing the research, they sort of cited this en masse problem that I discovered. It's called stress incontinence. And a lot of places were citing it as kind of the last medical taboo and saying that, you know, if someone could go and they could figure this out, that it could have a ripple effect the way that when, um, you know, impotence got re sort of branded as erectile dysfunction and Viagra came on the scene. So I think that people were aware of the problem. I just think it was such an unsexy problem that it took someone who doesn't really, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but like doesn't really give a shit about what other people think. And instead what happened to me was I just, through talking to all these women, became so compelled and so connected to them that I felt like a person on a mission to go and try and solve this pain point for them. How did you sort of structure your focus group research, in, in, even in terms of, you say, talking to these women? How did you find women? Yeah. How were you able to break down what would be presumably some discomfort around the subject that we've, you know, we're talking about? Yeah, I think I had the benefit of being at school. And so I was in a very experimental mindset, which I think um, gave me the courage to kind of proceed without caution. Um, so there were a couple of main things that I did. The first thing that I did was I went online. So um, I went and spent a lot of time on chat forums and different groups, um, a lot of mommy groups, running forums. Like I sort of honed in and, and found that there were two 
main groups that were really, really communicating about this online. One was sort of new moms and the other one was um, athletes. So runners, CrossFitters, those kinds of people. And so- So in in terms of when- they're when they're running it. that yeah. either dealing with their their period or yeah or are yeah. They looking? yeah yeah okay. exactly so um leaks are really common like when you're pregnant because like the baby is putting a lot of weight yeah. on your pelvic mm-hmm. floor mm-hmm. it's also very common if you're any kind of an intense athlete yes so um things that i discovered were that you know for gymnasts as an example or cheerleaders like this can start as young as eight or nine years old because you're just putting so much Um, physical strain on your body. And so I went and I found those two groups. And then I spent a lot of time doing what is now deemed as digital anthropology, but really is a really nice way of online creeping. And I spent a lot of time in these chat groups and introduced myself and sort of like participated in the community. This took about two months, I would say, where I built up enough trust and sort of was like a present active member of these forums that then when it came time for me to do interviews or to have a survey, people wanted to participate because I wasn't some corporate random outsider. I was a student with an idea that really wanted to understand what people wanted and wanted to make a difference. And through that, I got a few hundred women who participated. But it took the buildup to kind of do that. And I also think athletes in particular have a totally different relationship with their body. For sure. It's it's a machine and there's and it's not necessarily a source of shame. It's a, a source of empowerment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the most active groups that were really, really talking about this. It was like, what do you do during a marathon when this happens? And what are your tricks and your tips? And the things that people did like blew my mind. You know, they'd run past the water station and like throw water on their bodies so that it would conceal it or like there was all these different things going on. Um, So I think you're right. I think that that group was more outspoken without shame and really was just hunting for solutions versus if you went to like the new mom group, it was such a um, transformation to be experiencing in your body that there was a lot of emotional, um, you know, downsides that came with it as well. Yeah, although I can I can imagine with new mothers, the baby represents really a, a game changer, and mm. there's so many different things going on that there is an acceptance that something radically different has happened to your body, and 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 the leaking is is part and parcel of what's really been a, a metamorphosis or a transformation. Yeah, no, you're right. I think it's an once you figure out that it's quote unquote normal. Um, you can you can come to terms with it. I think that it's um, changing the way that you feel about your body post-pregnancy that, that can be a challenge. Um, and then when it comes to period leaks, I think that in 2013, it really wasn't widely spoken about at all. And then over, you know, fortunately for us over the past few years, it's just become such a more mainstream topic. Like in 2015, Time Magazine named it the year of the period because it was kind of this like awakening where people were finally talking about it. Given that periods aren't a new thing, um, what what is the, the reason? It makes no sense. Okay. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. I think what I've discovered through Nyx is that there are a lot of things that are like entirely natural and not just natural, but literally 
core to our survival as a species that we try to brush under the rug and not talk about. And periods is one of them. Has there been sort of any broader epiphanies? Like I'm, I'm trying to think of like, has somebody, Hillary Clinton or somebody come out and and spoken about that there, there, there doesn't need to be shame, there doesn't need to be mystique, there, there doesn't, this doesn't necessarily need to be obscured. There's been some moments through Instagram and social media that have sort of broken through. Um, I think it was 2015, there was a woman who posted a picture on Instagram and showed her sheets that she'd bled through and the photo got rejected by the platform. And so that made headways. Like there's been these sort of social viral moments that have come through. Um, Tampons in the United States were taxed as a luxury good and still are in some states. And so, you know, coming forward, a lot of people coming forward and fighting that and being champions of like, how is this a luxury tax? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yes. buying tampons is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And so I think there's been – I don't think there's been one singular person, um, but I think it's been more of a movement of many. And do you feel that things have have fundamentally changed? Because – I see uh, it. Do you? Because I, I think as a guy – I feel it is. It, it still seems like somewhat of a taboo subject in in the workplace. Um, I don't think, and you know, I work with women, and I don't recall it ever being brought up as a as a subject. Like, oh, well, I'm on my period today, and as a result, X. Or, yeah. I guess all I can speak to anecdotally is. Um, how our search volume for things like period underwear have totally skyrocketed, how it's a product that honestly I feel like I used to have to beg people to want to buy and now we can't keep in stock. So it's like there's a movement that's happening where um, I it's coming more and more into the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And of course. And even in terms of the ads that we run, it's the same thing. You know, we used to run ads and people would be like, oh, gross. Like, this is disgusting. <laughs> and then. Women. And women yeah. Okay. Totally. Totally. And now it's more like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Like, finally. Coming up next, how Next built its huge engaged community online why men need to be allies in this effort, and Joanna and I break the stigma on some personal experiences of our own. I'm interested in your social media Mm -hmm. footprint and... Uh, I'll use Instagram as an example that clearly aligned with your vision around a product line that's inclusive and, uh, you know, is, is meant for women of varying sizes and, and skin color and, Mm -hmm. um, and how they identify. And yet at the same time, you also have sort of integrated in sort of more social justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how do you, how do you sort of find the balance between that or is it just sort of kind of you just whatever's happening that week or that month? Yeah, I think that um, so 
We've always been inclusive from a visual standpoint. Um, one of the big changes that we made as a company, and we did this back in January, um, is we decided instead of talking about the products on our social media channels, we were going to showcase women, showcase photos of real women in our products and then have them share how they feel, what they're doing, what their journey has been. And we went, um, and if you look at our Instagram, you'll see this. We often have a photo, and then we have a quote from one of the women about something that's really deeply personal. And then the last thing that it'll say is, you know, Sarah in an evolution bra size four kind of thing. And we made this shift from, in my opinion, what was selling to storytelling. And since we've done that, our engagement really went off the, the charts. Like we have four times higher engagement than our closest competitors. We have a really, really strong community. And I think I'm obviously biased, but I think the Nick's Instagram feed is one of the most special places on the internet because it is such a supportive and safe space. And so we started with that. And um, I view us as part content company now um, and storytellers. And we started thinking about, okay, what's the role that we should play and where can we actually add meaning and value in in women's lives? And um, we did that. And so that started shaping how we thought about things. Um, And specifically when it comes to our blog, we've decided that we've always been champions and at the forefront of body inclusivity as it pertains to your physical or exterior appearance. Um, But one of the topics that we wanted to get into was um, going a level deeper. And, you know, if we're thinking about empowering women to be unapologetically free, what are the topics that have traditionally been really restrained for women that they haven't necessarily felt safe or comfortable to talk about? Well, there's lots of that around now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like lots of places that you can go with that. Um, And that sort of guided the conversations that we're having now. Let's use an example of like we did a breast cancer awareness campaign and we showed a woman having a double, like bare chested with a double mastectomy. Yeah. Um, that wasn't so much of a social stance as she was partnering with us and that's her story. And it was the story that she wanted to share. And we're fortunate enough to be the platform that she wanted to use as the vehicle to share that story. When it comes to things like the fertility campaign that we did, that's a very intentional move. And it's like, where can we create value and meaning in our customers' lives and facilitate a conversation that's not helping having elsewhere? And that was an area that we just really strongly felt like wasn't being talked about and yet is so tied to the female identity. What is what is the conversation that you want to have around fertility? So one of the areas as it pertains to fertility that we really wanted to launch with is there's a large group of women who have decided that they don't want to have kids and that is totally okay and it doesn't make them less of a woman. And society has a really hard time with that. Um, so we wanted to facilitate conversations with everyday kick-ass women who have made that choice and for them to share how they deal with the sort of constant pushback and, you know, underhanded comments and remarks for making that choice of their own. Um, we wanted to talk about fertility and, um, loss as being part of it because I think that 
we don't really talk about it that much. Um, this was a topic that was, you know, um, informed by my own loss that I experienced last year or this year. Um, oh, I'm and, sorry. No, it's okay. You know, it was like really hard at the time. I had a miscarriage on Mother's Day and mm. it felt like the universe was like biting me in the butt. <laughs> But um, in that moment, my eyes were opened and I've like literally never felt more connected to um, women in my life. Like I just, my whole viewpoint and how I looked at, at our gender changed. And I was like, holy crap, every woman is a rock star because we all deal with this large topic in some capacity or form. So we wanted to share stories of loss. We wanted to share stories of... Um, you know, resilience of different options, um, just a whole magnitude. And we talked about a lot of things and some people didn't like it. Like I'll tell you, some people don't like what we're talking about, but I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Who doesn't like it? Um, we got pushback. We shared one story of a woman who at 27 decided that she wanted to have, she wanted to be a mom. It's something that she's wanted to, to be for a long time. And she decided that whether she had a partner or didn't have a partner, she was going to be a mom at the age of 27. And so she inseminated herself through a donor. Um, she did it at home. So I, I don't know. Did you know that this was possible? <laughs> I, I did not know. Are we, know are we talking was, turkey basters? We are talking um, menstrual cups. But turkey basters are really the main thing that gets used. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Um, and so she made this choice to, um, have a kid on her own. And now she's, I think when we posted it, she was six or seven months pregnant and people hated that. They hated that we were talking about the topic of fertility and sharing the story of someone who didn't struggle, but who made a really kind of bold and independent choice and took her fertility into her own hands and went down on a journey that's just very different from a journey that most people take. We want to share stories of what it feels like for women who, let's say, have had an abortion and then they have a hard time getting pregnant. And what does that feel like? If you're an egg donor, you've donated eggs and then you can't get pregnant on your own. What does that feel like? Um, you've had a miscarriage and you're really struggling, but you don't want to tell your work that you've had a miscarriage because you don't want them to know that you're trying to get pregnant because maybe you won't be up for that promotion. And yeah. now, you know, it's such a topic that has like so many spillover effects on our relationships, our professional lives, our financial situations. And again, one of these topics that like periods are completely crucial literally crucial to our survival as a species and we don't talk about it so the issue of your miscarriage these things are 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 difficult to talk about uh, on a number of levels because it obviously it's something that's tremendously painful and and something that you could be not can be you would be grappling with and yet communicating it talking to colleagues or friends about it then then you kind of have to if not own their emotional response but it, it can be sort of ex exacerbating yeah i think I, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that like one of the first things one of the first pieces of content that we put out is like what do you say to someone when they tell you that they've experienced this 
Because even that, like, and I know this for myself, before I experienced it myself, when my friends would tell me, you don't really know what to say. And the things that people say are often the wrong things. You know, a really common thing to say to someone when they've had a miscarriage is, oh, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Like, that's the first thing that most people say. Yeah. And it's like, not, okay, not helpful. (laughs) Um, And so... Yeah, but it but it is true. I think I had personally, you know, um, I'd had my experience sort of May 12th, and we'd been working on this campaign basically ever since then. People deal with grief in different ways. I like snowplow it into trying to affect change. <laughs> um, but we launched our campaign on National um, uh, Pregnancy Loss Awareness Day, which was on October 15th. And even for me, I was like really, really, really taken aback as to how emotional it was for me to share it publicly for the first time. And for two days, I was in New York City um, for work. And for two days, I just, I could barely function because the stories that were coming into my inbox, the things that people were sharing with me and sharing with our company were just, it was, it was so heavy. I think it was for a lot of women, it was, um, it created a safe space to talk about something that they hadn't felt safe talking about before. And it made them feel like they weren't alone. Um, and even anecdotally, since then, you know, we've only been at this now for three weeks, so it's very new. Um, but every day I have people messaging me who are like, my sister just went through this and I sent her to your website, or I just went, you know, this just happened to me and I read this article and that's what we want to do. You know what I mean? We want to connect people. I noticed on your Instagram page that, um, there are some guys, Mm -hmm. um, and speaking about menstruation and, uh, other topics. I recognize that you, you can't reach, nor necessarily should you be trying to reach everyone. Um, what role do you sort of see for allies like men in in this? Yeah. Um, we have some stories on our website that talk about it from the male point of view. Um, I think it's important to include both to include both sides. I was the person who was like physically carrying our baby when it died, but my husband also felt the pain of it. And um, I just got back from a weekend, um, like a conference that I went to, and Esther Perel, do you know who that is? I know the name. Yeah, yeah, she's like an amazing, amazing relationship expert, and she was talking about um, modern-day masculinity, which is something that I'm very interested in, and how oftentimes when men say something out loud, it's the first time that they're saying it ever. And so I think that it's important that we – create a safe space for allies as well. So what does it mean if they say it out loud, it's the first time they're saying it? Like women just, I think, talk about things so much more than men talk about things. Okay. And so how important it is to listen when a man is coming out and saying something about pain or loss or feelings because um, we've almost been brought up for that to be, you know, repressed in that in the male gender. And now as women are becoming more open and society is becoming more open and wanting to talk about things and talk about these real things, um, both sides are, are changing. Um, and so we do view that it's important to sort of share both sides of the story. And we think it's important for, you know, it's a funny person to mention, but 
James Van Der Riek, who was on Dawson's Creek, he's been a huge advocate for um, fertility and for changing the conversation um, and wanting to change the word miscarriage as an example because it insinuates that the woman did something wrong. Yes. She failed to carry. You yes. know what I mean? Yes, yes. And so we need we need everyone involved ultimately to fully change the conversation. Yeah. And and I was saying just yesterday that when we went through this, my wife and I, um, the, you know, the, the the guy is the primary source of support often, right? Yes. And And so my wife had a miscarriage and then she was going to go to work the next day and she did and she continued to go to work. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, because that just like you – her so default would be speed up keep going right keep going yeah and nowhere did we know or were told about the um physiological processes at all this is another huge thing for me yeah okay go ahead well and sorry it's not funny i'm very very sorry for your loss isn't it mind-blowing that you didn't know though no and so we had a situation where my wife at thank god it was at home but essentially went into labor and that what transpired on our the the floor of our living room could have been at work at work or on the subway uh, subway and so we had no idea that oh my god did we ever dodge bullet i mean she she experienced it and it was horrendous but it had we known i never would have said yeah just keep going to work that that's your vibe right and then because it was such a traumatic experience and we were going out for dinner with friends, like I think on a Saturday. So we related this story because they're very good friends. And then they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we were in Paris last summer and we were in the hospitalized. And I was like, dude, fuck, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And it's like, because, of course, it was his wife's situation and he didn't want to betray a confidence. Yeah. Uh, or an intimate detail, right? And I'm like, dude, if you had told me about what transpired, like... It would have helped. Yeah, men need support too. Like, well, it's just yeah, only. I, I mean, yeah. And I, I can understand. Um, I did the same thing with my husband. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was the one who was crying and who was so upset, and it was almost like you have to be strong for me right now because I'm the one that's physically going through this, but emotionally we were going through it together, and similar, so similar experience. Had no idea what to expect. The woman at the hospital literally told me it was going to be a heavy period. H- holy cow, was she wrong? Like, that's a health expert. That's a health practitioner. Yes. I had no idea what's going on. Yeah. So we want to share, we want to tell people what actually happens. Yes. Because I think it's important so that you don't end up in situations where, you know, you're in the middle of a board meeting or, you know, the subway and you're totally caught off guard. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting that it, t- this is what happens. It took, it took you talking about it to have someone else say that they went through it as well. Yes. And imagine if we could create a space where we all just talked about it. Yeah. And, uh, and that was 16 years ago and it doesn't feel to me. I don't think it's changed. No, no, it doesn't feel to me like it's changed at all. I don't um, think it's changed at all. Yeah. So just, and I'm very sensitive to your, your time here, and it, it's very revealing and, and, again, inspiring that so much of this conversation has been about the social issues involved mm. as opposed to the challenges of running your company. Mm-hmm. It reflects kind of where your heart is at. Um, b- but on the company side, like, where, 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 are you, where do you see this going? Like, how big, how, 
how many products like kind of what's next yeah i think um our i mean the goals and ambitions that i have for next is to create a global brand and we want to redefine a category so they're not small goals or ambitions <laughs> um I think that I feel really, really fortunate to have gotten the company to the stage that it is now. And now I'm in this weird mode where I'm just trying to make choices and decisions that optimize for the longevity of the brand and that ensure that it's a company that exists 20, 30 years from now and that our customers love. Like I am making choices where I don't think everyone is going to buy our stuff because that's an outrageous assumption. But the people that do, I want Nix to be, when someone says, what brand do you love or what, who do you respect and admire? I want them to say that it's Nix. Joanna, thank you. Thank you so much um, for your time. I, there's at least another hour and a half of questions that I could ask, but I fully appreciate that, that the business needs to continue to, to be run and you got to go. Um, but I look at it, anything that helps uh, people like my daughter's life easy, yeah. make easier and, and better uh, is something that, that I'm internally grateful for. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for allowing me to have this conversation. That was Joanna Griffiths, CEO and founder of Nix. That's it for this week. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening app, and leave us a review. This episode was produced by Ellie James. I'm Noel Halsman, and we'll see you next week.